Today's podcast with Ben Patrick was a special one. Uh, we've become good friends over the last uh, almost 12 months now that since I sort of saw his work online and thought, yeah, this, guy has, this guy's got it together. This guy's onto something special. At the time, he was just getting started. He had a few thousand followers and uh, maybe 40 online clients. And over the last 12 months, he's absolutely exploded, as I believe that he should and, and thought that he would. Uh, he's put together the work of Charles Poliquin in a way that's much better adapted to running athletes and especially jumping athletes um, in a in a very you know usable accessible way and he's got it out to almost a thousand people now directly which probably means you know over ten thousand people who are kind of skimming stuff off Instagram uh, he's a special human and he's been extremely consistent in his delivery over the last twelve months as well so today was about that today was about you know what's changed for him personally over that time and how he keeps it together and I guess his tips for other guys out there who are not necessarily nailing life and, and feel like they want to go to another place. So, you know, Ben mentions his own challenges uh, with depression and, you know, really being in a bad place, trying to solve it all himself uh, to where he is today, where he's, you know, connected into a nice global network and really feels like he's achieving his life purpose. So hope you enjoyed today. I would love to hear more uh from you about what you get out of today and uh, as always we'd love to work with you uh, inside a real movement together with ATG just make sure you've got an awesome team around you that's the biggest take home from today is that you're not going to get it done on your own so you know connect up to great people who want to take you to places that you want to go and and life gets better you know I think that's the the biggest message from today enjoy the podcast and I'll talk to you soon oh I think oh yeah there it is here he is. Working. Love and direct. Yeah, man. It's, uh, thanks, thanks for jumping on again. Uh, lovely to have the opportunity to speak to you. It's first thing in the morning over here. I just had a nice chat and a bit of coffee with my wife, and now I'm speaking to you. So it's an awesome start to the day. That, that's perfect. And I'm getting free time to pick the brain of my mentor. So it's uh, free education for me too. <laughs> How's your day been, man? Really good day. Got to uh, do my normal day, which today means we were on the basketball court and just having a great time. I mean, playing playing your sport like truly pain free is just uh, it's a it's a blessing. I don't take it for granted. Yeah, it's it's good that you you keep coming back to that, even though now you know you, you you're pulling off these massive dunks and you you know you're training with NBA players but you haven't forgotten what it felt like not to be able to play. Um, yep. That's a good segue. Like that's what I wanted to touch on today is like who, who were you when you couldn't play and, and yep. you know, what impact has that had, you know, now that you can play on your, on your psychology? It's such a good question. And honestly, I made this huge mistake that I think a lot of us, I think almost anyone can relate to maybe a time when they've done it. And I really shut myself off from other people. And I thought that kind of being this lone wolf and shutting myself off from others and not trying to have a network of connections, not trying to have a community. I thought somehow that was the way to go. Yeah. And I really got nowhere with that approach. And, and honestly, by the time I was like, by the time I was 20, I mean, I didn't have a single close friend 
in my life. It was a totally was different world. Of the basketball, like, was, it, was that related to the struggles you yeah, had? I mean, I was very, yeah, I was very depressed from the knee pain and the knee surgeries. Like, I spent my, I spent my holidays that year, like, at home, just, you know, <laughs> pitting myself. Um, so the, the knee pain really threw me into a depression. And I thought that, you know, fuck everybody. You know what I mean? The world's against me that kind of bullshit. (laughs) And that got me nowhere, honestly. And it wasn't until like starting to open up and realize like, wow, that's a, that's a mistake. Like cutting myself off from other people is not the, the key to getting ahead. There's a difference between studying and learning and, you know, versus parting, you know? So I spent time on my own studying, but without really having the the feedback and mentorship and help and, you know, from other people, I I just kind of went in circles. Yeah. And so, as you know, we've talked about this. I started then like, like I had no social media, no, you know what I mean? Like I, I thought just blocking myself off from everything was the key. Then I started like starting to follow you. I started to read everything Charles Pollock was writing. I went to seminars, you know, like I did things that was totally against what I had done for the last few years. And that's when I could start to see that I was actually like, that, that was my, that was my downfall. That was my mistake. So that, that was when you were 20, wasn't it? That was seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's when, like, that's when things started to turn around for me when I was 20. I'm trying to think of when I was posting. I did that 10 by 10. I did 10 by 10. 10 times in, in two weeks. That's what I was doing oh, wow. when you checked in with my, my stuff. Um, and it was on the, it was winning, winning health solutions is a Poliquin uh, influence coach there. Tom Hibbert in the South of the UK. He's a really sharp coach. Yeah. He's, a, he's a strongman kind of guy. Um, like he competes in, in strongman now under 90 kilos. He, he was the host for my P, PICP level one and two. So like, oh, wow. that was the host venue when I did that with Derek Woodsky and uh, Mary, Mary Pierre. Um, and I met a lot of good coaches. A lot of the guys that I kind of tag in my stuff now, and especially, yeah, like some of them were the coaches that were at that event. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But yeah, that he, he was doing these crazy protocols and stuff. And that, that's what I was trying at that time. Um, and that's actually also when my wife uh, first moved to France to live with me and I was doing that oh, wow. protocol. <laughs> and she was uh, like, at that time we'd known each other for quite a while. We met, you know, five years before that, but she just sort of decided to move down after we'd been dating a bit. She was in Germany and I was in France. It was like quite a big, oh, wow. so she just moved down and uh, I was doing this crazy protocol and I was like a zombie and I was like trying to take all the supplements and the carbs and all that stuff as yep. well. And it was just messing with my physiology. And she's like, what are you doing to yourself? Like, who is this guy? <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? So it was good that she got that introduction from the start because uh, there was a sign of things to come. But That's uh, interesting. So you're, so you think your wife had an effect on you, you know, opening your mind and starting to think differently and, and really look at things. Uh, like, I mean, she's definitely. What got, what got you to change? What got you to take a step back and look at the whole picture? Oh, I, I was kind of already on that that kind of buzz. Like, um, I had irritable bowel um, when I was, you know, uh, going through high school. 
just end of high school type thing when I started to eat a lot of junk food and take protein supplements and, and all that stuff. And I, I, if I'm honest, like everyone in my family has pretty much had digestive issues. Some of them hospitalized oh, wow. and diagnosed and whatever, and other ones, you know, so yeah, ulcer- ulcerative colitis and, you know, um, all that kind of nasty stuff. Um, there's a lot of that in my family. So I just started to eat a lot of junk and it's it kind of caught up with me at that age. I'd been on antibiotics, long course for skin stuff, which, you know, you've touched on that as well. But I, I went on yeah. antibiotics for like six months and then started to drink alcohol and then, you know, ate a lot of junk food and then my skin went bad. And, you know, yeah, a lot of, a lot of things all happened together there. My gut went bad because in that cycle. And I think that really negatively affected my psychology. And then I, I think on the back of that, like I probably started to get more into the holistic um, side of things. I started to read T Nation around that time. So that was 2004 yep. kind of thing. Um, yep. Just when I was finishing off university and then, you know, that was when Charles and Ian King and some of these guys were really pumping on, on T Nation. So I started to get into some of those philosophies and probably learn about Paul Check and read How to Eat, Move and Be Healthy around that time as well. Oh, wow. Um, so that, I'd sort of been on that buzz and then in and out, you know, sometimes more just thinking about bulking and sometimes really thinking about health. And then, yeah, like I, I traveled through a lot of my twenties, so backpacking and stuff. So sometimes I cared about health and other times I was just like, you know, being a backpacker, living on $2 a day in Guatemala and whatever, you know what I mean? Like not really wow. putting attention on my, my health and that sort of stuff. But when I got that strength and conditioning job, when I was 27, I got a head of, head of performance, my first big role, um, in a, French rugby team then I really decided like I got to get myself healthy again and I'd been vegetarian for a while before that and really run myself down like living in Latin America and not looking after myself and um, I'd got pretty run down so I decided if I'm going to do this role I need to get healthy so then I really started to study and that's when I got into Rob Wolf and I did um, like functional medicine kind of courses and really got into like Paul checks type stuff. And then, yeah, like I, I went deep into it as soon as I was full time in, in pro pro sport. Like that was when I was like, yep. well, I need to be a role model for these guys if I'm going to do this stuff kind of thing. So, and then my wife was kind of always interested in it and she was, she was like open to the journey. She was actually vegetarian when we started to date again at that time. Oh, wow. she was when we first together, but then she <laughs> actually that first, uh, we had four days together in Paris when we sort of caught up again and she started eating meat again <laughs> um, then and she sort of went back onto it and she felt, she felt better like pretty pretty quickly. Um, but, yeah, we both kind of had played around with vegetarianism and, and that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, like that That's was – Yeah, the, the Poliquid stuff was huge, you know, like getting into – I did biosignature with him. I think it was just a bit after I did the PICP one and two. And so when you do biosignature, like, like, wow, like, you know, you start getting deep into, you know, the blood testing and all that stuff. And yeah, there was, there was heaps about supplements, but you kind of realize like human physiology matters and hormones matter and, you know, stress hormones and all that sort of stuff. But did you, yeah. did you go into that side, the metabolic analytics and you, you kind of came later yeah. in the, the next generation that education. No, no, I remember the whole, I remember all the biosignature and I had my calipers and the, the, uh, the online software and stuff. And I did, yep. you know, I did all of that. Um, okay. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I think for me, Pollock, when I thought it was like the most genius guy there's been in this field. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on that? I think so too. Uh, you know, like he brought yeah. it all together and it, you know, he, he probably, 
as we all do, like I think he took a lot from a lot of other, you know, people and practitioners and I've heard different stories about, you know, where things came from and how they got shared and, but he was able to recognize, you know, this is really important and, and sort of get it out there. And the human side of it is, is so big as well. Like, you know, he had that big personality and sense of humor and, and kind of hard edge to him, you know, that he was able to just latch on to an idea and just roll with it regardless of the pushback. You know, I think, yeah. I think some of the biosignature stuff from my understanding, it was came with work with Eric Serrano, Dr. Eric Serrano and some other guys, you know, with, um, identifying the parts of the body and the skin folds. And I think they just moved away from it because there's too much heat scientifically to say, you know, this part of your body correlates to this and that part of your body. Like not any, not many people can stand up to the, you know, the heat that comes with people saying that's bullshit, you know? Um, Baldwin had balls. And I think that was, I think that was the most important thing I learned from him. And I've had my most success from having balls. I mean, even, to this day, we go out and we practiced our jumping after our basketball work. And, you know, we're seeking to achieve balance off the four different ways a basketball player jumps, which is either a running one foot jump off either leg or going into a two foot jump, stepping in either right, left or left, right. And, you know, I have a guy with us today who's going to get paid a lot of money to play basketball this year. And out of the four main jumps, he's only ever done one of them in a game. And all of the other three, he's like not proficient, has knee pain. This is just this is just the status quo in basketball training. College, professionally, they don't balance your jumps. And it's such a horrible impact on your body. You get so imbalanced from only jumping a certain way. Your muscles develop differently, your tendons develop differently. And so, you know, yeah, I like people are gonna think you're crazy for doing that. Yeah. People look at you yeah. for be on the court and then what when they're practicing these jumps, they look stupid. Like they kind of, you kind of exactly. like, why is he doing that? Exactly. Yeah. So I think like you, you touched on this, but when I, when I started reading Poliquin and like, I remember one of the first things I read, he was talking about, you know, different lower back stuff. And he immediately mentioned, Oh, when I, when I heard about this, I went to Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell. When I heard about that, I went, I learned Russian. I learned German. I, you know, what did he speak? Like 18 languages or something like that? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure of that, but yeah. You know he about I, though, right? I spoke this with him in, in Spanish and French and he, yeah, he was yeah. pretty comfortable with both of them. Yeah. So he had this, like, he had this quest that he didn't care where it came from or if it went against something that he knew in the past, if he believed something was true, he was going to go, run that subject down to the source. And so that was, that was a big eye opener for me when I looked at my life and saw how shut off I was from everything else. So I think, I think that's what really got me started on the right foot was learning from Poliquin to, you know, find what's true for you and go master that regardless of it, whether it agrees or disagrees with anything you've read or studied in the past, if it's true for you. And then number two, if it is true for you, have some balls about it and that's that's not the norm you know yeah most guys are just regurgitating the same data and so to see poliquin do that and have balls about it that was like that was a big turning point for me and as i've told you in the past i was studying you at the time because i could see as you as you mentioned like you were in the trenches like you were actually like squatting 
with your knees over your toes, ass to grass, like you were doing this stuff yourself. And so that gave me, I remember, you remember you were posting some videos too with like deficit deadlifts? I can't even, I can't remember deficit deadlifts. I remember doing seated external rotations and, you know. Right, you were doing some of these exercises exactly that were, I had never seen these done, you know, in a weight room. So for me to see that and go, wow, I'm going to go to the weight room and do something that I haven't seen anyone else do. You know, that, mm. that starts building your, your courage, you know, people around you are, are maybe looking at you funny or whatever, you know? So, um, yeah. It's funny, we're so both that, still that, there now. We're both still yeah. there now, like doing things that no one else is doing and, and, and kind of getting funny looks and funny comments and, you know, my stuff, you know, with the, mine with the juggling and the handstands and the mobility, like people like you're, you know, your rugby strength coach, like what, why do you do all this stuff, you know, and and people still like send me like, I I got messages the other day, guy, like, you know, because I mentioned that there's increase in white matter and gray matter with juggling. And that's documented and increasing the synchronicity left and right brain. And it's very similar to your double ball juggling, uh, double ball dribbling, I think is hugely similar to, to juggling and, you're right. Um, similar, it's obviously yeah. more specific to, to basketball, but um, the same thing. People told me I'm nuts. Oh, you don't dribble two basketballs in a game or this and that, but like that, that shit really worked for me. And so to have, you know, it takes balls to go out and I was in college doing these as warmups before games. And yeah. I had some of the best stats in America on not letting other people steal the ball from me. So like the shit worked for me, but doing it, yeah. people would be like, people would be laughing at me. Looking at me funny. How are you, mate? Going on, <laughs> ATG, you always see the guys. <laughs> yeah, we need to go with Jeff on this as well. It's uh, something we've been talking about doing for a while. So, for so sure. Good to see your crew in there. Yeah, man, like it's, I think, and it's, I always say to players and that, like, if you're doing exactly the same stuff as everyone else, as every other team, like, how, how are you going to have a competitive advantage? You know, like, there's zero doubt with Charles Poliquin that you're going to be different to the other guys. Like, you're going to be doing things differently to other people. So it's either going to be better or worse, but it's going to be different. Like, there's no way you're, you're doing the same prep as everyone else and going to be in the same position. And it just, yep. it just so happens that it was most, you know, mostly better. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think also what people underestimate with with him and, and, you know, the main theme that I want to come out of today's podcast is like he was very, very powerful uh, psychologically. You know, when I did a one-on-one consult with him, the you know, and you can just imagine being his client like preparing for the Olympics or something like that, like the amount of uh, energy and determination that he had for the result and, and you know, the power that he had to, that he wielded, you know, mentally, psychologically, like yeah. I believe that that has a huge impact on the physiological output of the training program, you know, like the belief that he yeah. had and, and the determination that he had. Yep. I want you to talk a little bit about like how that fits in with what you do and, and even like results that you've had with your own program and how, your psychology has changed. If you've gone from this kid that's kind of like depressed and trying to solve it all by yourself and people can kind of see where you are today, like how has that transition been, you know, psychologically together with the physiological change? Definitely. And it's cool. Having this conversation is like stabilizing out for me and and making me look at what the exact progression was for me. And so I mentioned from the start, it was, First, I had to get my head out of my own ass and be willing to look, you know. So that was the first step. And I saw that Charles Poliquin was willing to look. 
you were willing to look. So being willing to look was the first thing. Then you do have to, you have to be willing to see something that's true for you and have the balls about it. So we went over those two points. Yeah. After that, the next big thing I got from carrying on these things that were true for me. So I believed in them. They were true for me. Carrying them on over time has given me like just some insane results. Like if someone could have known how bad, for example, my knees were and now how they feel or how much faster I've gotten or how much higher I can jump. And that's why it's always so easy for me to get a client. If someone knew me back then, they knew where I came from, but to know that the work that I put in, if anyone could experience what I had been through, they would just be like, Holy shit. It is so easy to do this stuff. Like looking back on it, but you don't get that from like a six week or a 12 week program. That's too short of an amount of time. Yeah. So now if you look at maybe a six or an eight year span, right. But no one's going to sign up for like a 300 week program. But what can you bring about in, in that amount of time? What can you bring about in 300 weeks first in three weeks, which is where everyone wants to see, you know, the progress. It doesn't mean you can't still see progress in the three weeks, but it's amazing what you can bring about in the 300 weeks. And that for me is why I don't just like think certain things work. Like I fucking know it. I know it. Certain things that work. Yeah. There's still certain things that I'm still trying out or seeing, you know, but there's many, many core things that there's no way I could have as much confidence in them if I hadn't seen the actual results so many times. And I think someone like Charles Pollock was at that point. And so when I train a guy now, I don't have to like, you know, hope theoretically it's going to work. I know it's going to work, but it's interesting psychologically how that confidence, if a guy really, really, really believes something is going to work, well, he actually has a much better chance of it working. So it's, it's a very, the, the psychological aspect is a really interesting difference. And that's why like probably a lot of people listening to this podcast are trainers themselves. And your confidence in the subject matter is one of the most important things you can do for your clients. You can give your clients so much better results with your own confidence in it. And now looking back and thinking about like training with Charles and stuff. Oh my God. Like his level of confidence you never doubted if something was going to work or not. Now he actually put in the work in the trenches and made those results that he knew it was going to work. So you got to do the work and you'll never do the work on the right thing. If you don't find what's true for you and you'll never find what's true for you. If you don't freaking look and be really willing to look. So I, I would say if we've gone over three things so far, the willingness to look, the willingness to have some balls about what you know to be true. And then the willingness to actually produce those results to a point where you're so confident in it. I still think most trainers are, are not past level one. Yeah. I don't think they're yeah. willing to look. Well, they want to look where it's safest to look, you know, which is what, what's double blind proven. Like yep. okay, strength, strength training, you know, if you do three sets of eight, then you're going to get stronger over six weeks, you know, and that's like, that that's like the dominant evidence-based stuff is like somewhere around here is the average of what's okay for an average athlete or an average client. Like how is that useful if you're trying to be the best coach in the world? I think that's, you know, I think that's also the thing is like people don't even dare to dream of being a, 
a world-class coach so they don't yep. need to look for world-class methods because they just want to sit somewhere in the middle of the pack and not be criticised. You know what I mean? Like that's stay yep. safe and people are so scared to be called out now. You know, like this is, you know, this is pseudoscience. This is woo-woo. And, and you know, like to stand for anything these days is is kind of a rarity. So like you hide yep. behind, you know, all these, all these cohort studies say this way of training is fine. It's like, yeah, what are the, you know, there's no, there's not very good research in, in exercise or in nutrition, you know, like there are, there are great practitioners and there are bits of useful research, but if you're looking for the research to tell you everything, it's going to be a long time. Yeah. That's true. Oh. Yeah. And you're so right about that with like, you know, the, oh, if three sets of eight is, you know, a thing. This is such a new subject, you know, training the human body for performance or, or training the body to protect against injuries. It's just too new of a subject to think that everything that could be known is already known. Yeah. But the, yeah. the college education system, at least in America, I know it kind of breeds you to think that anything that could be known is already in those textbooks. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. So, so, so far from the truth. And as soon as you start studying, uh, even like studying Louis Simmons, studying Charles Poliquin, like even looking at, um, you know, the decathlon guy, the French guy, and, you know, seeing, you know, he's using that stuff. And there's, there's a lot of different things out there that aren't going to be in the textbooks for a while, you know, even with, you know, even if you don't agree with it, but like the, you know, some of the stuff, Cal Dietz or Franz Bosch or Bondachuk, or there's a lot of things that they're, they're not, <laughs> those approaches aren't really being taught in the mainstream education. So you're just not going to have best results. And when it's competitive sport, like you, that's the fun thing about it is you get to put the physiology on show and you see what comes out. Um, yep. But like, yeah, so were you, I guess like some of the humiliation as a kid, like being, uh, you've mentioned on other stuff about, you know, having white bread or whatever put on your, you know, having, having your, having your, your coach tell you take your yeah. shoes off to, to show there's no weight in your shoes after you did your sprints and these like humiliating moments. Do you think they've like kind of initiated you into the mental toughness that's been needed to do what you've done now? I think so because I, I was made fun of for being slow. I was the guy always made fun of for having no ability to jump. And so even though I didn't know what I was, even though it wasn't necessarily the right thing, I had the balls and it was, I remember these moments were like very hard to make myself go do, but like I'd be out in my neighborhood, like running with a parachute or, you know, dragging a tire or I remember, you know, those kind of things dribbling two basketballs miles through my neighborhood before school. Like you had to be willing to get over the idea that someone else thinks you're an idiot. So what, like, what does that really do? And eventually you get over and you realize, Holy shit, that doesn't matter at all. I can remember going out to the beach and working on basketball defensive techniques with no offensive player and sometimes working offensive techniques with no basketball, because I found that to master the right moves, I found that most guys couldn't get it unless they actually put the basketball down. And I found basketball players were so overtrained on the court that we would go do it in the thickest sand we could find for our feet. It was an interesting idea. It's not accessible for everyone, but we're here in Florida and I was trying to help my guys as much as I could. So trying to fake out imaginary defenders on a super popular beach 
and we're shooting shots, making what with no one around. But for me, this was like home, like being willing to do stuff like that was home. But I can remember so many times the guys training with me, I could see it. I could see their moment happening of like, holy shit, am I really about to try to fake out an imaginary offender and make this shot with no rim and no ball around while there's pretty girls watching or whatever, you know? Yep. But that's, that's important, man. And guess what? Nothing bad ever happened. I'm still standing. Yeah. Nothing bad happened from that, you know, what could be perceived as humiliation. Humiliation is an internal thing. You know, it's not, it's not a physical thing. That's a mental thing. And so, so I think without realizing it, because I was so obsessive about trying to get better and that meant doing things that other people weren't doing, you know, I was the guy, you know, willing to be at, at friends' birthday parties, you know. I'd be up in the morning doing sit-ups while they were playing video games. You know, like I was, I, I had to be willing if all my friends were faster than me and I was hanging out with all the guys on my team and I just do everything the same as they do, how the heck am I going to catch up? And the shit I did not only did not help me catch up, my body was destroyed and had surgeries. And that's what led me on this new path of trying to figure out how to get the body freakishly healthy to never feel pain when, when I play my sport, but you're right. It, it really laid a, all the humiliation I faced when I was younger, it really laid a foundation because I didn't care if something made me look stupid. If it was going to allow me to not be made fun of on the court, I would much rather have had some old farts at the beach laugh at me than have, you know, be the only guy in the team who can't touch the rim. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think, at some stage you need to go through that stuff. I think for me, a lot of it was through the backpacking time that I actually got the courage to be different, you know, and because I was a foreigner and then like learning another language, you go back to basically being a baby when you've got six words in another language and you have to try to get by, you know, then you kind of go back to being like a child and there's, there's humiliation in that. And um, I think for me, like a lot of the courage came through that time where I probably wanted to be too much of the, like, be cool and not stand out and stuff during high school, even though I wasn't, you know, I wasn't one of the coolest kids, but I wasn't, I wasn't a super nerd either. Um, but I think like the travel was kind of what gave me a bit of the thing of like, yeah, it's okay. Like I can, I can be different here. And that was, I think it's, it's so important to have that time. And I really feel sorry for the guys that, you know, still now, you know, like I mentor coaches and work with a bunch of guys that are kind of like us and, and, and a lot of them are like, well, I just don't feel comfortable putting myself out there on social media. I, I like even with the juggling and the handstands that we do, it's like just getting over that mental thing. And I think like me giving them permission to do it yep. because it's part of our training system, then they go and yep. get it done at the public park or, you know, yep. in front of their kids or whatever. And initially it's like, oh, you're being a clown or oh, you're trying to be like a five-year-old girl doing handstands, you know, who are you trying yep. to be? And, and just getting through that criticism, I feel like is, is such a huge thing and breakthrough for people to be like, yeah, like I'm, yeah, I'm a clown. That's cool. Like, let's get on yeah. with this thing, you know? Um, it still blows my mind every day when I think, and I see these videos from my athletes around the world going into the gym yeah, and doing an ATG style, you know, deep split squat, you know, and doing these kind of movements that, you can see the other people in the gym, you know, 
are, are looking at, and they, they have the willingness to do it and pull out a camera and film themselves doing it. They'll back it because you're... Yeah, so I I was willing to instill that confidence, but now I'm giving them that ballsy moment, you know? I think that's an important thing for any aspiring strength coaches, get that willingness to, you know, face the humiliation and go through it. And you're doing the same thing in so many ways. And that's why, like, when I first saw, like, the juggling, of course, I just thought, like, oh, wow, that's cool. But then I think there's muscular guys in weight rooms juggling yeah they are overcoming that ridiculous part of society that makes us be you know fearful of what others are going to think of us yeah so that's that's actually a a super empowering part of of the process i think psychologically um by going through that man you have so much more chance i think of success and i think you could i think you could have a there's probably you know, different kinds of entrepreneurs and investors and whoever having similar conversation to what we're having right now um, of being willing to look outside of the education, you know, the, the what's safe, being willing to look outside of what's safe and having and being willing to have balls and yeah. then being willing to put in the work yeah. on what you find. Because some people miss that that third step of that they're always just hopping around trying every different method. But if one of those methods really was true for them, well, you got to then, you know, put in, put in the work and actually get good at it. How many guys are going to get, are going to get their, their handstand down like the first time, you know? Yeah. That's, that's the other thing that I love, you know, and you've got it with basketball, but sometimes the thing that you've mastered as a kid doesn't have the same lessons in it. You know what I mean? Like, so when you take on juggling and handstands as an adult, you go back to being a rank beginner, you got, you have something that other people are going to think you're silly for even trying at. And then if you want to get a 60 second handstand, or if you want to get a five ball juggle, you know, you're looking at thousands of hours of practice and by the time you've done those thousands of hours as an adult at something that you were hopeless at before, you know, you're a different person mentally and physically, you know, you're, you're in a different place and and you have another level of mental strength, you know, like that's, that's why the foundations of our system, because oftentimes, yeah, the people that I work with, they don't have a specific sport, you know, they they don't, a lot of them have had those dreams of playing NRL or or Premier League soccer or top level, you know, and then they've got to a point where like, this isn't going to happen. And then they have a big crisis mentally of like, who am I now? And what do I even live for? And, yeah. and this is something that gives them, you know, purpose again and has, has worked like that f- for me as well. And they're kind of like foundations of my life that, yep. you know, if I'm doing these physical practices, then I have that, that psychological and mental strength. And once you get to a certain point with them, it's like it's difficult to get gains, right? Like for you to get gains on your dribbling and stuff now, it's like, yep. you know, it doesn't come easily, right? Like to be able to do new things once you've been practicing for, for a long time, um, there's always things, but refining that, you know, those high end skills, like that mastery is a huge thing as well. Like you want to have things that you're mastering um, yep. and also have things that you're, that you're kind of a beginner at as well. So you're still going through that awkwardness. And, and that's what keeps you growing. You yeah. know, that the best athletes in the world, uh, a Michael Jordan, you know, his secret was that once he got successful, he didn't, he didn't just stay at that. He was finding his next weakness, his next weakness. So, so maybe for me now, maybe my dribbling is a fun warm up. but now I can't wait 
to dunk because I'm a beginner at dunking. You know, I, I can't wait for that. Or when it comes to basketball movements that we use to fake out defenders and this and that, I basically have each of the guys that I train, they're always a newbie at something. Like they're trying to actually master that next thing. And it may take a while, a, a long while to master each new thing, but they start with one thing, they actually master it. And then what's the next thing. And so that's why like with, with real movement, there's a lot of growth potential there because it's not just, you know, I, I have respect for all different sports and endeavors, but for example, like with powerlifting, you know, you have those three lifts and you can almost do things negatively to your body to exclusively try to be good at those three lifts. So for there to be a system that can give you different things to try to master and can give you that, that growth and that game. Cause ultimately my philosophy is that ultimately life's a game. It's not that serious. And we're at our happiest when we're in action and we're in it, in that game. And to be able to set something up like that, that actually makes you healthier and smarter and more capable mentally and physically. That's really like, that's the direction I see uh, real movement going, you know, is that any guy, no one's going to walk in and have it all down right from the get go. So it's going to give you something to be, it's going to give you a game, but in doing that game, you're not only not going to wreck your body, you're actually going to build the highest possible survival potential of your body. Yeah. You know, you give me some good ideas around this and we chat around, you know, where, where it's going and how to, how to kind of connect with, with more people with it. And I think that, that, um, yeah, like it, it is that big human foundation, you know, I, I feel as though and I'm working with some NRL guys again now, like top, top sort of athletes here and making them kick a ball and, you know, yeah. they don't really kick in their game, but by getting them that uncomfortable, like all that stuff of yeah, new learning and new possibility for their career, because they're doing what they wouldn't do before. Like, like, but it's also, I believe, like if they can balance on one foot and if they have their feet, you know, more connected to their brain, then they're yep. more likely to go further. You know, like a lot of, a lot of athletes have played a fair bit of soccer as a kid because, and they, they so they have better balance foundationally yep. that when they go and play other sports with their hands, like they're just sturdier on their feet. You know what I mean? So yep. um, a lot of that, this, the stuff that you build as a, as a general base with your basketball as well, like it, it kind of really makes sense to me in a real movement kind of sense in the mentality that I have around building athletes and, and even working in rugby league, like seeing you break down, you know, all those dribbling drills and, and breaking down the juggling, all that stuff. Like that's exactly, you know, how I look at, at rugby league. When I worked in France, the, the junior players generally hadn't played that much, you know, like they didn't, there wasn't as, as big a culture of the sport. So they hadn't done thousands and thousands of hours of kind of street practice as the kids in Australia and New Zealand usually have. Oh, wow. um, so we just teaching them foundations and just getting them to rehearse. Yeah. Step off the left foot, step off the left foot. You know, how do you set that up and, and having some of the other, like filming them and having other guys coaching them through it and really breaking it down. Like no one was really doing that. And that's exactly what you do with basketball. And I feel like it's never been done in, in the world of rugby league um, to to break the game down to the level that, that you guys do and often say it to, to players like, well, if you're a basketball player, if you're a running back, 
you know every aspect of your game. Like you know how to, you know what your moves are to to get the yeah. other player off balance in front of you. But because rugby is like quite a, a complex team sport, like players yeah. often don't even understand their own, you know, their own game. And I guess, wow. I mean, you probably have that with the basketballers as well, where they some players are much more instinctive and and just. Do, they do the same move that worked for them when they were like 12 years old. They got really good at that move and they just keep doing, you know, that move rather than, you know, you've been analytical of like, well, what are all the, all the moves and yeah. how do we get all of them yeah. down? Uh, exactly. Yeah. And so I take guys and I can watch their film and immediately point out, you know, there's like, I know for basketball that there's five moves that are more successful at the NBA level than any other moves. But I often train guys who think it's political and they're almost in the NBA or they, you know, they think there's some bullshit reason why they're not there. And I'm like, did you know you're only using one of the five moves? And there's guys making the money they wish they were making using three of them or four of them. And they've only got one of them actually mastered. They've lost touch. It stopped being a game for them. Yeah. It became, uh, you know, something that they, they stopped. They lost that yeah. passion for improving. And they just kept doing the same things instead of expanding. And that's, I think, I think just as a human being, I think when, when life stops being a game for you, man, shit, you can get into a dark place, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe we should touch on that as well. Like how, if there is someone listening to this, you know, that, that feels like they're in that place. Like we are kind of given some, some clues and some tips, but like, how do you, what would you suggest? You know, how do you, how do you suggest someone move themselves out of that? If that's where they're, they're at at the moment, what works for you? That that's a great question. I mean, I think that's where it starts. It's just, you know, people, if people knew, if they really knew why they weren't happy, I don't think they would be unhappy because they'd be able to do something about it. And so I think modern society can kind of trick us into thinking we're doing all the right things. We have our car, we're paying off our mortgage. We have our job, but like, where, like, where's your game? And that's just, I think it's just the way we're wired is we need, we are, we crave that we need that. And so I, I think that's step one is like, find your, you know, find your game. And then as, as I went over, it's like, once you do find your game, all right, you know, open up your mind and be willing to look. Once you look, find what's true for you and then have some balls to actually stick with that. And you'll find yourself amidst a wonderful game and getting better at it and succeeding at it and having the enjoyment of overcoming barriers. But you, but step one, I think it's that simple. You got to find a game. And so someone else with a different game in their life might look at my life and think, this is stupid. This guy's not a professional basketball player, but he, he treats it like he's a professional. He's obsessed with getting better, but that's my game. And I think I'm, I feel like I'm the happiest guy in the world because I have a real game. I'm looking in my office right now at 10 different videos. I'm shooting next week, trying to push the envelope of how good I can get at training for basketball. So that that's it. That is, that is my game. That's what keeps me going. That is what keeps me happy. So I think it's very interesting that that could be used as a, as a formula is, you know, so really it'd be step one, find your game. It can't be something 
that you already can do now really easily. Otherwise, where's the game? Michael yeah. Jordan should have been the happiest guy on earth, right? He, in 1994, he had won three straight NBA championships, MVP, arguably the greatest player of all time. And then he quit basketball to play baseball. But what yeah. does every kid want? Every kid, all they want is to be is to be winning NBA championships and be the best basketball player in the world and making all this money. Like, wait a second. That should have been, he should have been the happiest guy in the world. But he was no longer happy because that was no longer a game for him. It's not really about the outcome as much as it is about the game. We think it's about the outcome, and there's the momentary satisfaction of the outcome. But the real happiness, the bulk of the happiness is actually the overcoming of those obstacles along the way. So that's, I, I think for me, I knew that I wanted to figure out how to bulletproof the body. And then knowingly or unknowingly, that was my game and that kept me driven. And it was a, it was a distinct point at age 18 that I decided I'm going to stop being hurt. My new game is to try to figure out how to bulletproof the body so that I could play without pain. And if you look at that, by 20, I had already found you and Charles Poliquin. So obviously, maybe this plan's not going to work overnight. But by 20, I was already happy as hell because two weeks of pushing my knees over my toes and, and my knees have never hurt as bad since. The point is, I, I, I did that. I found my game. For me, it was trying to figure out how to play basketball without pain. Then I went on to step two, and I was looking. Then I, I found step three. I found what was, what was true for me, and I had the balls to go to the gym and do that. And then I did step four, and I actually stuck with it for years on those things that I knew were true. And now I find myself, because we are running out of time here, so it's, it's, it's all coming to a good point right here, what I consider the last part. Yeah. Step five. That's what I was gonna. I was gonna jump in with you. Yeah, what is the last part? What do you? What do you, What do you got? I've been thinking about this the whole time. I was thinking about it before our conversation because okay. I, I also think that ultimately our purpose on this planet is to help other people, right? So if I'm doing yeah. a podcast, I'm thinking, "Fuck, man, I got to bring something to the table here. What can I? How can I actually help with this?" And I only knew step five because that's what's been on my mind lately. That's been making me really, really happy. Honestly, step five is no matter how much you know now. And the reason I've come to this is because, and you can then chime in on this, because of going through this process and learning from Charles Poliquin. And I feel like this was his downfall, and I was able to watch his downfall. And it's basically the ability to, to still love the other guy, despite whatever reason you have to hate him. And to still be willing to actually put yourself in the other guy's shoes. And this was the part that like, I got a lot out of my time with, with Charles Poliquin, but it hit a point where it was like, I have some guy looking me in the eyes and he desperately wants to run faster. And all my Poliquin materials tell me to improve squat, deficit, deadlift, blah, blah, blah. But this guy has horrible, horrible, horrible shin splints. And it's like, man, if I could just get this guy's shin splints gone, he would run faster. At a certain point, whether it's with a client, with a competitor, with an enemy, whatever it is, with your wife, if you really want to be the fullest level of happiness and success, I think you have to be 
able to step out of your own shoes and fully and completely see the other guy's point of view. And so that started, like, as you know, there's nothing I know really that like a lot of other coaches don't know, but I'm probably the only guy who's put programs where like you do more sets of tibialis than squats. You know what I mean? There's no way any other of, of Charles Poliquin's disciples did some of these kind of funky things, but that's, but that shit worked because it didn't matter if I put another 10 pounds on this guy who already is squatting 200 kilos, but has horrible shin splints. And even, and I could just be a dick and say, it's cause your glutes aren't firing or this or whatever. But at some point you got to put yourself in the other person's shoes. And now I apply it when I get <laughs> negative comments, you know, on social media that, that would have stirred me up before. But what's funny is when you actually get off your high horse and put yourself in the other guy's shoes, you can at least see, even if he's wrong and you know, he's wrong, you can at least see how he came to that point of view. And when you see that you stop hating the other guy because you actually understand him. So I think that's the final level of, of success that you're going to find. You've been through all the, the first levels I mentioned, you know what I mean? You know, things that work and you, I think you started this final step earlier than I did because you were willing to start uniting people and like, like you've been my mentor, but you've been helping other guys who don't see things exactly the same way I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you've been able to build those relationships with both of us and be willing to see the different sides. And so I think that was my final flaw and where I had to be willing to break. And I think that's where, I think that's where Charles Poliquin hung up a little bit that I think, I think you're carrying that torch and actually connecting everybody. And let's face it. If people could do that last step, there would not be wars and world hunger problems. And you know what I mean? Our whole society would change if that, if that fifth step was in place and now I'll shut up. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's massive, man. I, yeah, like it's really powerful what you, what you've shared there and what you've, you know, what you've been through the the whole journey. And I, and I guess it, it does take getting through a lot of those things of actually practicing really hard for a period of time and, you know, deciding what you love and working really hard at it and, just refining that, that, and then, you know, yeah, you get to the point where it's like, okay, I need to, I need to share this, but I also need to, to have compassion and love for the people who don't want this now, or who think that it's, it's silly or whatever, you know, so that doesn't burn you up and eat you up and take away from what you're actually trying to do. Yeah. Um, And it seems like that's allowed you to actually build that team around you, you know, where you, you know, you've got, Jeff and Derek and Bart and, yeah. and you know, your mom and dad and, and all the people that support ATG, like you've been able to pull all that together and myself as well, you know, like you've, you've done a lot to nurture this, this friendship and relationship and, you know, it means a lot to me and, and I know that it's helped a lot of the coaches in my network, like they all know your stuff and they all follow it and they're all learning from it and they're all, you know, they're all doing the movements and that's because we've been able to, you know, have that synergy together. And I think that's the, that is the big thing. I think that is the next, the next step and the big thing. And if I look at Charles Poliquin and even some of his other students, like it's still that very individualistic um, kind of feel or mentality where at this time I I feel like for humanity, like we do need to, to find some, some, 
some more commonality and, and come together more. And, and that's, I guess, my frustration working with a lot of young men is like, well, how do we come together on this? Like, how do we, if, if we all just work together, like how much easier would it be to fill all these gyms and, you know, yep. to really be able to get next level results. And, you know, that's the, that's the challenge and the equation kind of in front of me. But sometimes people are still going through those first steps and they, they're not at that point of kind of mastery or self you know, self-awareness to be able to sort of start thinking about what if this was a global thing, you know, what if this was popping up all over the place? And, you know, I think that's a good, good thing to finish on, but you know, when you have that, that collective sort of psychology and collective energy, I, I feel as though that's probably a huge part of, you know, your, your joy of life right now is like having that comeback from all over the world. And then, you know, having those guys there together in your gym and, that collective, that collective energy and and doing things, um, on that, on that group scale, you know, that's, that's the next big thing. You know, that's the big thing. How can we, how can we pull it all together more, share it wider and, and, uh, like kind of mastermind and and grow together, you know? And and I think it's happening as we speak, you know, honestly, I mean, I, I have so many friends now and, and I see the real movement world growing and, just, just from what you're putting out there, like it is occurring as we speak, you know, and, and so I, I think it's happening. And I think that the more people who see things this way and follow these steps, you know, then we, it, things could make a, a real impact first on the, on the fitness world. And then, you know, even improving society as a whole, because, I'm scared about the world that my future kids are going to come up in the amount of the amount of drugs and video games and pornography and how much, how much hate there is between different parts of the world. And so those are, those are my five things. I think they worked for me. And I think that uh, I'll bet anyone could find some level of truth in those five for themselves. If you want to be, we all want to be wildly successful and really happy. Right. And I've been 27 years of my life, not being that. And now I'm 28 and I actually am wildly successful and really happy for the first time ever. And it was those five things. And if you ever feel yourself dipping down, something probably went out starting with number one, what's your game? You know what I mean? You have to always have a game. You can't stop having a game. Um, it's amazing how regardless of age, actually, when they just look at the, the ratio, when people retire, like you're, you're dead, man. Now, some people who retire would, would find a game, but for the most part, you stop having that game and, and you lose the joy in life. Even if before, even if you were the, the garbage man in your town or something, that's still better than not having, if that's your game, it's still better than no game. So find your game. Step one, look is step two have some balls about what you observe and know for yourself is true and then carry it out, man, carry it out. But that fifth step, no matter how hard you believe in certain things and build up what you perceive to be your, you know, success, be willing to see that other guy's point of view. And then I think you'll just be wildly successful and wildly happy. And, you know, that played a part in my own business. I hired Jeff who was doing things 
And I joined in and, and gave him part of what I was doing, even though he was doing things that were different than what Charles Poliquin had taught me because I, I was able to follow these steps. Yeah, I think, you, you know, that is a, a gap, I think, in the, some of the Polka stuff is like bringing next level mobility and it's still missing from mostly from the strength and conditioning world. Like how do you get someone into positions? And, you know, that's a yeah. whole other conversation. Maybe that's the next one we can do. But I think what you're saying there with accepting the other personality and, and people doing things differently, but it's also like what you just said there, like bringing other people along on your journey, you know, like yeah. you've been able to bring other people along on your journey. You've been able to bring me along on your journey, even though, I'm doing juggling and I'm doing handstands and I still like weightlifting and, yep. and that's not purely what you're doing, but by that connection and, and bringing Jeff along. And then, you know, like um, that, that is that fifth step of like bring people yep. along. And then if people don't yep. want to go, that's okay too. And still learn from them and still see their perspective. Like, yeah, that's um, yeah. We, yeah. we all get along much better than we think. We're all much more capable than we think this world really could be an ideal place to live where everybody can be successful. And uh, so hopefully somebody listening can apply those five steps in some way and, and contribute to this goal. And if you can live that, if you're living that and people can feel that energy on you, then that's already happening. And it's just a matter of more, you know, more people doing it and embodying it further. And, you know, I'm there sometimes and other times I'm like doubting yep. and, you know, like, and it's in a flux, but I love the journey that I'm on and I love seeing what you're, uh, you know, what you're doing. I'm looking forward to getting over there to, to Florida. We're, we're moving over closer to you guys for at least part of the year and going to spend some time together. And just, yeah, I want to thank you, man, for being, being a part of my life and, and obviously sharing what you've shared today, um, getting a little bit deeper into the psychology of, of how it all goes and how it transforms your mind as well as, as well as your body and your knees, you know, it's all goes together you know, in a powerful journey, you know, so uh, thank you so much for your, for your time today and, and everything that you do. Man. Well, once again, you've, you've pushed me and challenged me and you brought up the, you know, the mental aspect of things, which is every other podcast I do is just about my knees and jumping and, and I give the same spiel. And now I was like, to start this, I was like, holy shit, this is different. I know it's the right thing. I know it's important. So let's do it. But I was like, what is going to come about. And now I, you just made me look at everything. And, and, and actually I, I had not thought of, I didn't think I was going to have five points or have some, you know, something come out of it. And you made something blossom out of this. And just like from the first time we spoke about a year ago to now, my business has 10 X itself. And I, I'm, you know, different people have different levels of need. So maybe, maybe like this way. what, it's, it's more like 20, 20 times now, isn't it? Maybe. I'm scared to even say how it's well not, it's going. Not because of me, not to be boastful, but it's like on my understanding of the numbers, you've, uh, it's crazy, man. It's amazing what you're doing, and I think it's just getting started. Like it's Yeah, really and, and as far as money, as far as money, I'm, I'm set for life at this point just from the success I've had in the last year. Um, so, it, so once again, you, you've inspired me to, to – try to better myself, you know, as a, as a trainer and for the guys that I help. So I appreciate you. And, and yeah, I wanted to make it known. Of course, you're not over here doing all the videos with me and stuff, but the point is that it is true that, that my business is 10 X since, you know, since I started, uh, really working with you, you know, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate, uh, yeah, everything that you're doing and looking forward to the, the whole journey ahead. And, um, yeah, really awesome awesome Speaking of which 
I got to get off this call because I'm talking to another Australian. Exactly. In one minute. Yeah. Have fun with Simon and uh, yeah, talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you.